0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. So I have a confession to make before we we go into scripture. Um, There's something that pastors experience all across the globe the week after Easter. It's called Easter Hangover. It's when we uh, focused the last previous forty days of Lent on preparation for celebration of resurrection and for approaching the cross, and then Easter happens, and it's this amazing celebration of resurrection. And, and Usually, pastors, you know, we put a significant amount of like effort and time into Easter, and then the day after Easter happens. And you're just kind of like, whoa, your head's spinning. All you want to do is lay in a room, a dark room, with nothing but quiet. But then every pastor has to prepare for the Sunday after Easter. And so usually that week for me, I've been in occupational ministry now for like 26, 27 years. And and usually that week for me is always like a really hard week to do sermon prep. And so I share that for two reasons. One, it gives me an excuse just to have like a terrible sermon today. And, and two, I share it because maybe you're here and you're experiencing something similar. You know, you have that week off, that spring break, or a lot of folks travel there, you know, over Easter week and you're here, but you're kind of like, whoa, um, you're, in, you're in good company. So um, why don't we jump in to what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to start a new sermon series. And it's a sermon series on the life of Joseph. And what I love about the story of Joseph is how God is with him through all these twists and turns in his journey, through all these ups and downs that he experiences. And God is at work behind the scenes in this story, and he's redeeming all of the setbacks that Joseph encounters. In this story specifically that we're going to look at, we're going to spend seven weeks looking at the life of Joseph. If you're interested in learning about the life of Joseph, it, it's chapters 37 through 50 in the book of Genesis. And so over the next several weeks, if you want to be reading about the life of Joseph as, as we're preaching and teaching on um, those passages, that would be wonderful. And what you're going to find is, is the story of Joseph is filled with family dysfunction and rivalry and relational strife. It's a story that's just fraught with disappointments and letdowns. It's a lot like our story and our families. And God is at work behind the scenes through every bit of it. And so that's one of the reasons we're going to be spending the next seven weeks in this story, um, the life of Joseph. And although Joseph's story officially starts in the 37th chapter of Genesis... It really begins with his great grandfather, Abraham, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Because as usually is the case, our family of origin, right, has a way of shaping us. Right, how we grow up, what we grow up in, our family, where we come from, usually forms us and deforms us in a lot of different ways. And, and that's the case for Joseph. Um, Some of the family dynamics that Joseph experiences in his story reach back three generations. And so I want to give you a quick snapshot of Joseph's family tree. And again, it starts in Genesis 12. God reveals himself to a Chaldean by the name of Abram. And God tells Abram, I want you to leave your country, leave your home, and you're going to look for a city whose builder and maker is God. You're going to to leave, and I'm going to promise you and your lineage a promised land. And so Abram does that. He he obeys God, and he he doesn't know where he's going, but he just goes. He becomes a nomad. And sometime later, God changes Abram's name to Abraham which means father of multitudes. But there's a big problem with that because Abraham and his wife Sarah are are old and they're childless. Because his wife Sarah uh, can't have children and he's old himself. And, And so Abraham is convinced by his wife Sarah to have a child with Sarah's handmaid, which of course you can imagine the dysfunction that that's gonna cause right? So Sarah can't have a child herself, and so she, she convinces Abraham to have a child with her handmaid, and the, and the, the family dysfunction that comes from that is, is obvious, right? Several years later, though, what happens is God appears to Abraham and Sarah and promises that they're going to have a child of their own. And it's a miracle baby because Abraham at this point is 100 years old. Sarah, his wife, is 90. And yet they have a child, and his name is Isaac. And so you have Ishmael, who was born um, from Abraham and Hagar, and you have Isaac, who is born from Abraham and Sarah. And you can imagine some of the the relational tension (laughs) that's happening there, right? Abraham and Sarah favor Isaac over Ishmael, and it it exacerbates this already dysfunctional dynamic. Well, Isaac eventually gets married and has two twin boys, Jacob and Esau, and we're told that even when they were in the womb, they were struggling with one another. When, When When the time came for birth, Esau was born first, but the Bible tells us that Isaac had his hand on Esau's heel. Because back in ancient times, if you were born first, you got privileges and opportunities that that the second-born and third-born and fourth-born didn't get. You got what was called a birthright. And so there's this wrestling, right? And of course, these two twin brothers, they grow up, and there's animosity, there's jealousy, there's strife. Jacob ends up Bribing his brother, tricking his brother out of his birthright. And he, he lies to his dad and deceives his dad and gets the birthright. And there's all this deception in the family. And, 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 and Jacob's mom is being, playing a role in it and helping in the deception because she wants Jacob to have the birthright. It's just a mess. And it gets so messy that Jacob has to actually leave town because Esau wants to kill him. So there's all this sibling rivalry. Well, Jacob has 12 sons of his own. And one of those is Joseph. And so that's a snapshot of Joseph's family tree. And, and he, he, he's stepping into this, all of this deceit, this dysfunction, the relational tension and turmoil that's gone on for generations in his family. And what I want you to notice about that snapshot of the family tree is even though there's significant levels of dysfunction and deception and rivalry in this family, God is with them. Because God is a missionary God. And what I mean by that is, is God doesn't wait for us to get our act together before he shows up. He doesn't wait for us to like, have everything perfect in our lives before he comes and meets us. He meets us right where we're at. And we're going to see that as an important element in Joseph's story. And I think it's also good news for you and I. right? As we look at our own dysfunction in our lives and in our family and our family trees. and, and God meets us there. And so I'm going to invite Matt to come up, and he's going to read our passage this morning. Genesis chapter 37, verses 2 through 11.
1: This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had born, been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his, to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Matt. So the first thing we notice in this story is that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? All that is dysfunction function in, in Joseph's lineage and family now he's experiencing with his, with his brothers. And there's this sibling rivalry that is continuing in their family line, and, and it even intensifies. And Joseph plays the role of the snitch in the family, right? He's reporting all the bad things his brothers are doing to his father. And, and J- Jacob, his father... By the way, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And so um, Israel, or Jacob, Joseph's father... Um, really favors Joseph, and that has its own set of relational landmines, right? If, if, if a parent favors a child, there's all these landmines, relational landmines that just you walk in the right spot, and boom, you know, like it, it's explosive. And on top of all that, um, it, Joseph's brothers were told they, they hated him, they couldn't say a good word about him, and Joseph sported this colorful coat. This robe, this coat of many colors, this artful masterpiece, right, that his father gave him. And I'm sure he wore it around. You know, you get a nice piece of fashion, a nice coat, you're wearing it around. But you can also imagine what that, uh, how that came across to his brothers, who already didn't like him. One day, Joseph thought it would be a good idea to, to tell his brothers a dream he'd had. He said, Hey, I have this dream. And his brothers already can't stand him. But he, he says, this is a great idea. I'll tell them about this dream. And I had this dream, and I, we were all putting sheaves of wheat together, and mine stood up, and all of yours came around and bowed to it. That was, it was this amazing dream, isn't it? And, and it says his brothers can't, they hate, they hate him all the more. Um, they can't stand him. And so Joseph thought it would be a good idea to tell him another dream he had. So this time I dreamed the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. And, and he even told that to his father, and his father scolds him for the dream. When his brothers hear that dream, they hate him more. Um, and you have to wonder why Joseph did this. Why why would he tell these dreams to his brothers? You know, maybe maybe his motivations were, were pure, maybe they were innocent, maybe Joseph, you know, didn't wasn't fully aware of his brother's feelings. Or, or maybe um, maybe Joseph was on the spectrum. I have a son on the spectrum. Sometimes if you're on the spectrum, you have a difficult time conveying emotion. And, or maybe, maybe he, he just had so much joy and enthusiasm from this dream, because joy really isn't full until you share it with somebody, that he, just, he didn't have anyone else to share it with. Um, we don't know. We don't know the reason that, the motive that he, he shared this dream. Um, I think, and this is just conjecture, of course, this isn't, we're not told this in scripture, but I think that the history of rivalry in his family uh, may have played a role in his sharing the dream. Um, How could he not be shaped by that, right? It's all he's grew up with, it's all he's known. Uh, Maybe he viewed sharing his dreams as a way to stick up for himself. Maybe it was a way for him to gain some control Um, because he was resented by his brothers, and who who knows? We're not told what drove him to share these dreams, so we're left to guess. But one thing we don't have to guess about is the effect it had, right? How it agitated an already strained relationship with his brothers. And I can't help but wonder if if there's something in all this story, as outside observers, that, that we can learn and consider, because here's the thing, if God gave Joseph these dreams, and it appears that they were from God because these dreams actually end up happening at the end of his story, but if these dreams came from God, why did it turn out so bad? Because his story from this point on just goes downhill fast. It gets really messy. And, and that begs another question, and it's this. Is it possible for you and I, to mishandle something God shows us or gives us or does for us. You know, what, if, what if Joseph had kept these dreams to himself now, I suppose you could say, well, if he kept the dreams to himself, his brothers wouldn't have sold him off as a slave. He wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house and later sent to prison. And in prison, he wouldn't have met Pharaoh's baker and wine taster. And he wouldn't have gotten to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and be put in, second, in command of all of Egypt, which means he wouldn't have been able to be in charge of all the grain silos during the seven-year famine and all of Mesopotamia would have starved. Maybe. But, but I have a, a sense that God would have gotten Joseph where he needed to be, whether or not he, he shared this dream with his brothers. Now, I'm certain of this. I'm certain that God knew exactly what Joseph's journey would look like, where it would go, and God was with him. But here's the question I want to ask. Is it possible that God gave these dreams to Joseph for a different reason than sharing with his brothers? Maybe, maybe the dreams were given to him as an encouragement because he grew up in this, you know, he was just resented and hated. and um, Maybe it was supposed to be an encouragement. We, we don't know. Maybe he was supposed to keep it to himself. We don't know. Um, but God redeems it. And you might think to yourself, wait, 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 wait. If God does something for us, if God shows us something, we're supposed to testify, we're supposed to tell as many people as we can. And and I I suppose that's true. But when we look at Jesus' ministry, there are multiple occasions in Jesus' ministry where he would perform a miracle, he would heal someone, he, he would reveal himself as the Messiah to someone, and then he would follow it with these words, don't tell anyone. See, I believe that there are some things that God does for us. There are some things God shows us. There's some things that God shares for us that, that we're supposed to, to, to keep for ourselves. Now, now, I'm not suggesting we never testify or share things God does or shows us, um, but I believe there's some things that God wants us to keep for a bit. It, it, maybe he wants us to pray about it. He shows us something because he wants us to pray. Or maybe sometimes God shows us something or does something for us and and other people wouldn't understand, right? Which was the case with Joseph's brothers for sure, right? They're not not getting this dream. It's not helping them, it's not setting right with them. Or or maybe it's just too personal or the timing's wrong, right? Or, Or it's to be shared, but it's only to be shared with a select few people. I say that to say this whether Joseph mishandled this dream, by sharing it with his brothers or not, God still climbs in the middle of the mess of, with him, and he redeems it. Now, it sets things in motion that are really difficult for Joseph, but God is right there with him. and He's redeeming it all. Um, back to the story real quick. One day, Joseph's brothers, after this sharing his dreams, one day, Joseph's brothers are pasturing sheep far away from home, And Joseph is sent by dad to go check in on his brothers. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. Probably because he's wearing this colorful robe, right? And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. And we'll throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. And so you can see the level of animosity and hatred towards their brother. We're told later in the story, if it wasn't for Joseph's older brother, Reuben, they would have killed Joseph. But Reuben jumps into the rescue and he says, hey, hey, let's not kill him because we'd have the guilt of that, what we'll do is we'll throw him in the cistern and let him die from natural causes. <laughs> He'll just die of hunger or thirst, and, and then we, it won't, his blood won't be on our hands. And his brothers, he convinces them. Now, we're also told that Reuben's plan was to come back later and rescue Joseph, because this didn't sit well with him. And, and why the brothers are kind of discussing what to do, his brother Judah says, hey, why do we even kill him at all? Let's sell him off as a slave. And so that's what they do. They sell him off to a caravan. And to cover up what they did to their brother, they dip his special coat in blood and they send it back to dad. So the dysfunction and the deceit, it's just, it's mind-blowing, right? And Jacob, his father, once he gets the coat, he thinks that Joseph has been killed by an animal and he refuses to be consoled, he refuses to be comforted. And the brothers just have to keep up the ruse. Can you imagine that? Like the brothers come home and, and dad is just mourning and grieving and he refuses to be comforted. He's just going to live in his grief and, and the brothers are fine with that as long as they don't, he doesn't find out what happened. And so you can imagine the, 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 the relational discord, the issues that are, are, are in this family that just continue to go deeper and deeper. But God is with them through it all. And he's secretly working behind the scenes to redeem the whole situation. The broken relationships, the fragments, the fragmented um, deception, all of it. He's going to redeem all of it. And I'm wondering if, as I'm sharing about Joseph and his family this morning, is if you're thinking about your own family, your own like, family tree, and your own kind of dysfunction in your, your present family and current family. And I just want to tell you this, that God is with you through it. Because he's a missionary God. He he doesn't wait for us and our families to get everything together. He meets us right where we're at. And so if you're wondering if God can redeem your family, redeem your mess, that's why we're doing this series. To give some encouragement and hope. Like, yeah, even in your own dysfunction, even what you grew up in, even what you're carrying around, God can meet you in it. And he's working behind the scenes to redeem it. Amen? Four of you believe that. My, my goal at the end of this series is that all of you would say, yes, that's true. God can redeem my fractured family. He can redeem um, the misunderstanding and the rivalry and the mistakes. and He can. But it's not my job today to, to finish the story of Joseph and his family. We have six more weeks to do that. But I do want to leave you this morning with something to ponder, something to pray about, something to take home with you. I left out one of the most fascinating parts of this story. I I mentioned to you that Joseph, or Jacob rather, had twelve sons. Joseph was one of those sons. But what I didn't tell you is that Joseph's brothers, the ones who mistreated him so badly, Joseph's brothers each became founders of the twelve tribes of Israel. And so none of his brothers knew it at the time, but each one of them was going to play a huge role in God's redemptive story. Because after, right before their father, Jacob, passed away, we're told in this story, we'll get to it eventually, Jacob says a special blessing over each one of those kids. And each one is unique, each one's special. And you can tell that that Jacob saw his kids through God's eyes of like you're going to have a special part to play in God's story that the nation of Israel, right, was going to, through these 12 kids and their offspring, they were going to set the stage for Jesus, the Messiah, to come who would reconcile us to God. And not only that, reconcile us to each other. And so the brothers were to be reconcilers from the beginning, but they didn't see it. They didn't know it because they were so focused out of jealousy on Joseph and everything he had and how their father viewed him that they missed how their father viewed them. They missed the role that they were going to play in God's story. They didn't see it. They got caught up in this comparison game, right? And here's the thing. Whenever you and I start comparing ourselves with other people, it'll usually lead us down two paths. It'll either lead us to become vain or become bitter, right? You, you, you compare yourself with someone else and you say, man, I am so much better than them. I have, I'm so much better off than them. I, I'm smarter. I'm better looking. I have a, a, a better occupation. And, and, and it leads us to vanity. Or we compare ourselves to someone else and say, wow, I wish I had what they had. And what does that do? It leads us to bitterness, which is why in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks about the danger of comparing ourselves with others. He says it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. You should each judge your own conduct. If it is good, then you can be proud of what you yourself have done without having to compare it with what someone else has done. For each of you have to carry your own load. See, as a pastor for, for a number of years, here's something I've noticed about Myself and just the family of God in general, is that a lot of times in the family of God in the church, on a Sunday, we can come into a room like this and we can look around and we can compare ourselves and say, "Wow, like that person across the room looks like they really have their act together. In fact, it looks like God just God just favors them and loves them because look at them; they've got they they look right." And inside I'm I'm Easter hangover and I'm falling apart and you know you, there's some of you here too who are in a place of just kind of like oh but man like and, and we play this game this comparison game where we compare ourselves well god just must really love them cuz everything goes well for them i've seen their facebook posts everything is just good they're going on trips and they, their kids are all happy and mine are a mess and like and and they, this is going on in their life and they pray look at the, they bring their bible to church they don't even use their phone they bring their bible like god just must love them more and, and, and we, play this, we, we play this comparison game we measure up ourselves among others and it always leads us to either become vain or bitter. And one thing about God's family is we don't have to do that because, because jealousy and comparison don't hold up. And so here's what I want to leave you with today. Um, during our last worship song, we're going to sing one last song together. We're going to pass out some baskets and in those baskets are going to be strips of cloth. And every single piece of cloth in that basket is colorful and unique, and it's different. No no two are going to be alike. And and the reason we're doing that is because we want to leave you this morning with a visible reminder that you can take home with you. And just throughout the course of this series, you can have your little strip of cloth of many colors just as a reminder to, to let you know this, that God has some special things for you to do. And you don't have to play the comparison game. You don't have to try to measure up to your brother, Christian brothers and sisters and say, well, this is what they're doing, and I'm not really doing anything. And, and you know, Jordan and Angie, they sing so beautifully, and I can, can't carry a tune, and I'll never do anything for God. But they're doing really good things for God. This strip of cloth, this tree, mind you, no, no. Your Heavenly Father has something special for you, and you don't have to compare that. You don't have to get caught up in that game. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Long ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just come before you this morning, and confess that we do feel those things—those things that Joseph's brothers felt. We, we, we feel too the things Joseph felt. Just having his father's favor and everything going well for him, and and the dreamer—we we we've been there too. Um, Lord, would you help us to not compare ourselves with others? Because there's always somebody who we can look at and feel vain because we're in a better position than them. There's always someone we can look at who we feel is in a better position than us and it leads us to bitterness and discontentment and jealousy and strife. God, could you work in our hearts so that we would see how you see us? that we could be content and just trust and know that you have created things for us unique and specific to do. God, would we hold on to them today? I pray as each one takes the strip of cloth out of the basket that's passed, that we would, we would have that through the next several weeks just to remind ourselves that, that in God's family, we don't have to compare. But we can trust that our Heavenly Father has good things for us and sees us for who he made us to be. Lord, we, we promise to do our best to pay attention to your spirit, to all the good things that you're leading us into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand together and we'll see? You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast,
1: please visit us online at www.welchurchvt.org.